0: to this God-inspired message from Shofar Christian Church. We trust that you will enjoy today's message and that it will encourage you to grow deeper in your relationship with Christ our Saviour. I have a relatively short message to to share with you this evening, but I'm I'm quite excited about it. It's, It's... it's something that's that's relatively basic and that's sort of a a bit of a continuation in some ways of of what i was sharing this morning i was sharing this morning from john chapter 3 verse 1 to 10 just about being born again and um in some ways this i mean this is just the the, the few verses after that and um let me let me maybe first read it to you and then and then i'll um say something about it um and just get my notes. There we go. Okay, so John 3, verse, verse 11 to 15, it says, I tell you the truth. We speak of what we know and we testify of what we have seen. But still you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes in Him may have eternal life. Yes, Lord God, we just want to thank You for Your Word. We thank You that Your Word is eternal, unchanging, alive, active, sharper than a two-edged sword, Lord, and that it's living and powerful, Lord, and that it is life-giving. Lord, that thank you that your word is an expression of who you are. Thank you that your your word is divine self-disclosure, and that by knowing your word we can know you. And we just want to we just want to know you more, Lord. We wanna worship you more. We wanna honor you more. We wanna know you more so that we can worship you more, Lord. Lord, because we've We've come to realize that the more we learn about you, the more we want to worship you, Lord. The more we long to worship you, the more we, we cannot help worshiping you, Lord. Every, every new thing that we, we learn about you, Lord, is like, Lord, just a new facet of a, the most precious and beautiful diamond that we see, Lord. And, and it just leaves us even more awestruck at who you are. And we just pray that you come and reveal yourself to us through your word lord holy spirit in jesus name amen so um you know modern modern people are are taught to look to themselves for salvation and um you know if you think about it secular people people who don't who believe that you know the material world is all there is you know that you know, this this world that you can see, touch, feel, smell, you know, handle, is all there is. I mean, what, what else can you trust in for salvation? What else can you look to for salvation except yourself? You, you pretty much are limited, I mean, to, okay, that's it, you know. I've got to look to myself or someone else, you know, some other human being for salvation. But the interesting thing about this passage is it teaches us to look away from ourselves for salvation. Um, and... Some of you might see in the background of of this account, an Old Testament story. Anyone of you um, know which Old Testament story is in the background? Neil is nodding. Anyone else? Yeah, What, what is it? Yeah. Yeah, in the desert, the bronze snake that... Uh, Moses put it on uh, on the pole in this, and I just actually want to read that to you, because if if you don't know that story, um, this account in John 3 is not going to make sense to you. It's found in Numbers 21, so you can just listen. It's not up on the screen, but just listen to this. Uh, Numbers 21, verse 4 to 9. It says, they traveled from Mount Or along the route uh, to the Red Sea to go around Edom. But the people grew impatient on the way. They spoke against God and against Moses and said, why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the desert? There is no bread, there is no water, and we detest this miserable food. That's the manna, (laughs) the manna, miserable food. Can you believe it? Anyway, Then, then the Lord sent venomous snakes among them, and they bit the people, and many Israelites died. And the people came to Moses and said, we sinned. When we spoke against the Lord and against you, pray, to, pray that the Lord will take the snakes away from us. So Moses prayed for the people. And the Lord said to Moses, make a snake and put it on a pole. Anyone who is bitten can, can look at it and live. That's where my sermon title comes from, look and live. So Moses made a bronze snake and put it on the pole. And when anyone was bitten by a snake, he looked at the bronze snake uh, uh, sorry, uh, and and when anyone was bitten by a snake and looked to the bron- at the bronze snake, he lived. Um, and what we see here is Israel coming out of Egypt. And you know, I, I always used to think, I mean, these bunch of Israelites, such a bunch of losers, knuckleheads. You know, I mean, how stupid can you be? Um, they come out of Egypt b- where. By the way, they are slaves, you know, who have been worked to death and beaten by slave, you know, cruel taskmasters. You know, and they're crying out to the Lord. And the Lord sends someone, he says Moses, to come and rescue them. I mean, there's a pillar of fire by night and, and a pillar of cloud by day. When the, when the, I mean, ten plagues for crying out loud. God sends Ten plagues. And the plagues, you know, ravish the, the Egyptians while oppressing them. And they are protected from it. I mean, some of the most spectacular miracles in the history of the world. And then... God leads them out and they have this pillar of fire by night and the cloud, fiery cloud by day. And, the, you know, when, when, when Pharaoh decides, no, he, he doesn't want to let them go anymore, he, he pursues them with his whole army. And God sends this pillar of fire down and builds this wall of fire between them and the Egyptians when they're caught between the Egyptian army and the, and the Red Sea. I mean, spectacular miracles. And then God says to Moses, you know, strike the water, he strikes the water. I mean, the, the Red Sea opens up. In front of them, so they can walk through on dry ground, through a sea for crying out loud! And they get to the other side, and the the Egyptians try to follow them through, and God drowns all the Egyptians, all their enemies in front of their eyes, drowns them in the Red Sea. So obviously, it wasn't a shallow sea. I mean, I I I remember this this one story I heard about this skeptical, you know, scientist or, or theologian who said, "No." It wasn't really such a big miracle that God allowed the Egyptians, the Israelites, to walk through the Red Sea because it was only about six inches deep. And this one old lady jumped up and said, "Praise the Lord! Praise the Lord! He drowned the Egyptians in six inches of water." <laughs> <laughs> uh, and you're going to have a miracle one way or another, you know. It's like choose your miracle, you know. Either God, you know, did a, a miracle and sent the Israelites through a, a deep sea you know, on dry ground, or he drowned the Egyptians in six inches of water. But it, it, it's a miracle either way, you know. <laughs> but, I mean, now they get on the other side in the, in the wilderness. I mean, they've seen all of this, the ten plagues, the clouds of fire. And, and they still have the clouds of fire by night and, and, the, and, and by day. I mean, the, the Red Sea opening up. They don't have food. God sends them manna. For crying out loud! Every morning they wake up and there's supernatural food on the ground for them to pick up and eat. What do they say? Oh, this is horrible! No water, no bread. We only have this miserable manna. Can you believe it? You know, such a bunch of knuckleheads. (laughs) And 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 and, you know, (laughs) I always used to look at them and say, you know, bunch of losers. But then I realised we just like that. I mean, if you look at your own life, if we look at our own lives, God does so many miracles for us. God does so many things that we should be thankful for, and yet we complain so often. My life sucks, you know. Where's the Lord? <laughs> when it just gets a little bit difficult, and we forget all the miracles that the, God, that the Lord has done in our lives. All God's goodness, all His faithfulness, every prayer that He's answered, we forget that. Oh no, my life sucks. God, where's God? We we do that. We're just like the Israelites. We just like them very often. Um, So anyway, this is the background, and and God gets fed up with them, and and He sends this bunch of snakes amongst them. And it's interesting to me that God sends these snakes, obviously, as a punishment and a a judgment upon their sin, but but what's interesting to me is how the judgment on their sin reflects their sin. Because in... Total unthankfulness, you know, in spite of all God's salvation, all the miracles he's done. I mean, the miracles that he's continuing to do by leading them by the cloud of fire and by giving them manna supernaturally. I mean, where where are they going to find food in the desert? They would have died in the desert if God had not given them manna. I mean, despite all of that, they're complaining with their mouths against Moses and against the Lord. They, as it were, biting them with their own venomous mouths, you know, of sin and complaining. And now God sends these venomous snakes into their midst to do the same to them. And, and uh, you, you can see how, even in that, God's judgment on sin is redemptive because God wants them to see this is what you're doing. Just like these venomous snakes are biting you, so you, with your venomous tongues, are biting me and Moses. So even, even God's judgment is redemptive, you know, it's like. Can you see what, can't you see what you're doing? Wake up, repent. And they do. Oh, we've sinned, you know. <laughs> Tail between the legs, you know, walking back to Moses. Sorry, we've sinned, you know. <laughs> pray to God that, that he'll have mercy on us. Pray, in fact, they say, pray to God that, we'll take this, that he'll take the snakes away. So, um, you know, there's sin of unthankfulness. And, you know, I, I see so much of that. In, in us as well. We, we're so often so unthankful. We, we forget what the Lord has done for us. Um, they, they, their, their suffering reflects their sin. Their, their, their own suffering, uh, which is the punishment for sin, reflects their own sin. And, and often in our lives it's like that. And then they repent, which leads to, to God's grace. And, and, and here's the interesting thing. The solution, the solution to their problem reflects their problem. The problem is in the form of snakes, the venomous snakes that are biting them and killing them. And what is the solution? Moses, make a snake from bronze, put it on a pole. And if they get bitten by the snake, they can look at the bronze snake and live. Interesting that God doesn't take away the snakes like they ask Moses to ask him. Why? Why doesn't God, why do you think God doesn't take away the snakes? They've sinned many times before that. Pretty much the same thing. You know, start murmuring and complaining and, and, and being unthankful to the Lord for despite everything he's doing to them. And then, they re- and then they repent. And then God has mercy on them. He takes away the plague or whatever judgment there is. And what do they do? They repent of their repentance. <laughs> and they go back and do exactly the same thing. So God decides, okay, this time I'm going to leave the problem there as a reminder to them so that they don't repent of their repentance when, when I just take it away. I'm going to leave the problem there, but I'm going to give them a solution in the midst of the problem. Because they have to learn eventually that the problem is their sin. That's the problem. So the solution comes in the form of the problem, and then they can look at it and live. Now, so that brings me to, to, um, to my three points that I want to get out of, out of John. Uh, just like the Israelites, we can... We, we also sin and suffer. Our likeness is lifted up as a solution to the problem. And we can also look and live. Um, and, and we see how Jesus is the fulfillment of, of this. So, you know, uh, we, we sin. Like these lives, we sin and suffer. And, and if we're honest with ourselves and we look at our lives carefully, we will see that we are the victims of our own sin. We are the greatest victims of our own sin. I, I, I was, I'm listening to this audiobook book um, by an old, I can't remember when he lived, but it was a few hundred years ago, Robert Louis Stevenson. I think he wrote Treasure Island as well. But the book I'm listening to is a shorter book called The Strange Case of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Um very interesting book because this guy was a, was a Presbyterian, very religious guy. I don't think he was saved, but he understood a lot about the Bible. And, and and the story is very interesting. I'm sure I'm going to preach about it at a later stage. But it, but it just, you know, the, 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 it's, it's about the battle between um, the, the, almost you can say the light side and the dark side in us. And those of you who know the story, it's this, this doctor who makes this potion and then. You know, it separates his good side and his bad side. But the the moral of the story is he totally underestimates how evil his bad side is. And it eventually leads to his demise. Um, and he says this one thing. He says this one thing um, at one stage, you know, when, when, when you know, this Mr. Hyde, who's like the evil portion of him that's been separated out, you know, starts killing people and, and doing all kinds of really evil stuff that he ca- just cannot control. He says... You know, I've I've done terrible things and I've got myself in a terrible, terrible mess. And he says this if I am the chief of sinners, I am also the chief of sufferers. In other words, my I've become the victim of my own sin because my sin is so great, my suffering is so great. And and that's it's true for all of us. The more we sin, the more we suffer. We are the victims of our own sin, just like the Israelites were. and then sometimes God doesn't take the snakes away, but He gives us the solution to the problem in the midst of the problem, while keeping the problem there, as a reminder to us, as, as something that will help us to eventually overcome the problem and get free from the problem of sin. So uh, we sin and suffer like these lights, and then our likeness is lifted up. You know, Jesus, the, the sinless one, comes in the likeness of sinful mankind. Once again, the solution coming in the form of the problem. Because... We are the problem. We are the problem. You know, I, I always, you know, when I speak to people, you know, who, who don't believe in God, many people will say, I don't believe in God because if there's a God, why is there suffering in the world? Good question, right? It is a good question. Why, if there's a good God, is there suffering in the world? And, I, and I, why, is, why is there evil? You know, why does God allow evil? And I say, you know, God's in a bit of a, a, bit of a bind, you know, he's, he's got a, what I call a divine dilemma. <laughs> because on the one hand, he's this perfectly holy God who hates sin. But on the other hand, he's this completely loving God who loves sinners. And, and the, his divine dilemma is how can he des- destroy evil with dest- without destroying us? Because <laughs> evil is not something out there. Evil is something in here. <laughs> and the solution that he sends is Jesus. Lift it up so that he can destroy evil without destroying us. And that's why he has to bear with evil for the time being, so that over time he can destroy it without destroying us. Um, And there's this uh, place in in John 3 verse 14 where where it says, the Son of Man must be lifted up. And those of you who who were um, in in this morning uh, service... We remember um, early in that chapter, in verse 7, Jesus says, you must be born again. The Son of Man must be lifted up because the sons of men must be born again. And the only way that the sons of men can be born again is if the Son of God is lifted up on the cross. That's why Jesus must be lifted up. Uh, He must come in our likeness and man... And man has to pay for the sin. Um, Now, it's interesting to me, the the snake that is lifted up on the pole by Moses is made of bronze. In other words, it's not made of flesh like the actual snakes that are killing the people. But it's made of bronze. Now, bronze is is an interesting metal. It's a sort of a semi-inert metal. It's not fully inert, but it's sort of semi-inert. right? It can rust a bit. But it, it, it's also, uh, to some extent, immune to, you know, to, to the to um, you know corrosion and all that kind of stuff, and um, you know, this whole argument of of this of this thing in John three is from the lesser to the greater. You know, if if that snake were made of gold, it would perfectly represent Jesus because gold cannot rust at all; it's completely inert. Now here's the thing. Um, just like that snake is lifted up, so Jesus is lifted up. But that snake only imperfectly represents Jesus. I'm not going to read it to you now, but those of you who are taking notes, maybe you can go and look in Second Kings 18 verse 4, where, where eventually King, I think it's King Hezekiah, he destroys this bronze snake because the Israelites had started worshipping it. <laughs> there they go again, you know. <laughs> now, whereas the difference between this bronze snake... And Jesus is Jesus we can actually worship. This bronze snake only points to the one that we should worship. That's why it's bronze and not gold. Okay? So, but, but, but the, the point is, we as human beings are the problem. We have the, the poison of sin inside of us. And therefore, one in our likeness had to be lifted up on the cross. Okay? And then the solution is, look and live. Notice the correlation between looking and believing. If you if you look at the numbers, it says whoever looks at the bronze snake will live. And I was whoever looks at the bronze snake with their physical eyes will live physically. In John three, it says whoever looks at the Son of Man lifted up with their spiritual eyes will live spiritually. In, let, me, let me actually just read the, those, um, those verses for you again. Verse 14 and 15. It says, Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who looks at him, because that's what it said in Numbers, every, every, everyone who looks at the snake will live. Here it says everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. So everyone who looks at the bronze snake will have physical life. But everyone who believes in the Son of Man will have eternal life. Can you see the argument from the lesser to the greater, from the physical to the spiritual? Um, now, here's, here's one thing I want, want you to see. Now, m- most of you are, are Christians and have been Christians for a while, and you think, "Yeah, you know, I can see that, you know, when it comes to salvation, you know, salvation from the penalty of sin, being born again. You preached about that this morning, Any, and five people came forward, praise God, People getting saved, right? You know, and entering the kingdom. Um, you know, they, they looked at Jesus as the Son of Man lifted up on the cross. Uh, while we were having, having communion, and and they lived, they have eternal life now. They've went from darkness to light, from from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light, from death to life. I can see that, you know, in entering the kingdom. But, but what does that help me as a Christian who has been walking with the Lord for many years, or f- for for at least a couple of months? You know. This, this, does this still apply to me? Yes, of course it does. The problem is still the same. The problem is still the venom of sin which kills us. That's still, it's still the same problem all along. In the beginning, it was the penalty of sin. Now it's the power of sin that we want to get free of. And eventually, it's the presence of sin that we want to get free of. And the solution is the same. You look and live. Just like at the beginning, you looked at the Son of Man lifted up on the cross to live and get free from the penalty of sin. So, as a Christian walking through life, whenever you, that venom of, of sin gets into your system, you look and live. You look towards the Son to get free from that venom of sin. The power of sin that keeps you captive, that enslaves you. The gospel that saved you in the beginning is the same gospel that continues to save you. The gospel that saves you from the penalty of sin is the same gospel that saves you from the power of sin. And will eventually save you from the very presence of sin when Jesus comes to fetch you. So often we think, okay, I get into the kingdom by faith, but then I walk in the kingdom by effort. (laughs) Right? Right? Oh, you know, I got in by grace, but now I'm a Christian. Now I've got to pull up my socks. Now I've got to walk the talk. I mean, we, we, what we start in faith, we try and end. What we start in the spirit, we try and end in the flesh. What we start in faith, we try and end by works. Just like God says, just like Paul says to, to the Galatians in Galatians 3, Oh, foolish Galatians, who's bewitched you? You started in the spirit. What you start in the spirit, you're going to try and seriously... End it now, finish it now in the flesh. What you started by faith, you want to finish it now by works? But we do that. The solution is still the same. You look and live. Look towards Jesus. And let him inspire you to overcome the power of sin. And here's how it works. I heard a story. Uh, It's this uh, this archbishop, very high up um, in in the church, who tells the story about... Three young boys who decide they're going to be very naughty um, and they're going to run into the Catholic Church and they're going to go into the confessional one by one and they're going to to confess all these ridiculous, you know, gross sins to the priest which they haven't really committed. Well, most of them they haven't really committed. So they're just going to have some fun and really you know, try and disturb the priest. You know? So they run in, go into the confessional one by one, and the first two you know, start confessing these sins, and the priest listens. But he, he sort of figures out what's going on. You know? this, is a, this is some other prank. So the third one comes in, and he starts confessing you know, all these you know, ridiculous and gross sins to the priest, you know, trying to disturb the priest. And, and the priest sort of listens, and, and he ministers to him a bit, and he says, I want you to do penance. Go to the back of the church and, and you'll see there's, a, there's a, 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 a painting of Jesus hanging on the cross and suffering. You know, I want you to go to that and stand before it and look Jesus in the eye on that painting. Look him in the eye and say to him three times. You've got to say to him, Jesus, you did all this for me, but I don't really care about that very much. I want you to do that three times. So the guy, you know, sort of giggling, sort of goes and stands in front of a painting, looks the painting of Jesus in the eye. uh, And, you know, in this picture of suffering, Jesus hanging, you know, tormented on the cross, looks him in the eye and says, Jesus, you did all this for me, but I don't really care very much about it. And he says it again. And then he can't say it the third time because he breaks down crying. Because what Jesus did to him and how Jesus suffered for him, the price that Jesus had to pay for him, for his sin, all of a sudden struck his heart, cut him to the heart. And then the archbishop says, I know this story because I was that little boy. It changed my life. And now whenever I struggle with sin, I just look at the cross. I look and live. And the price that Jesus paid for me encourages me. The fact that Jesus died for me encourages me to live for him. And I ask myself, how can I find pleasure in sins that Jesus died to save me from? And when you look at Jesus... You cannot look at Jesus lifted up and what he has done for you and not be touched by it like as a Christian. You can't sin and then look at Jesus and see how he suffered for your sin, for that very sin, and be unaffected by it. And that gives you the power to overcome that sin, to get free from that sin. And it gives you the inspiration to worship Jesus for the immense price that he was willing willing to pay even though like the Israelites we are so unthankful so often, it inspires you to worship Jesus because you realize what, he's, what, he, what he did for me. I, I, I just so totally don't deserve it. He's, he's been so, so good to me when I just absolutely don't deserve it. How can I not worship Him? How can I not worship such a Savior who was willing to be lifted up on the cross for me? when so often I don't really care very much about it.